Well, Merry Christmas uh, as we begin this final week dash to Christmas Day and really glad to have you with us today and those of you online as well. You know, amid all of the celebration and the holiday and some of the hoopla, I think there comes a point when we sort of step back and we look at our own circumstances and the pain in the world, sometimes unthinkable, and we say about the person Jesus, is it worth it to follow him? When we reflect on some of what our own journey has been or what other people have been through, or even for me as I've watched people this week, we wonder, can I really trust the one who claimed to come as the Son of God that first Christmas? Last Saturday, I was at the Blue Christmas service. Hundreds of people gathered here to remember loved ones and to gather together to lock arms in their grief. And so I'm out in the lobby, and, and I'm uh, talking to a, a couple that w- were there, and they had three candles. And usually, you get one candle for a person you're remembering. So I thought, well, they're remembering three people. So... I uh, had known about one situation, but I said, I'm, I'm just, I, you know, what's your story? And they said, well, we, we had three children, and um, our one son was killed in a motorcycle accident. Our other son died of a disease, and our daughter was murdered this past spring. All three of their kids. I, and I was, uh, what do you say in a moment like that? And the dad continued to talk to me and wondered about just how does he make sense of all of this as a follower of Christ. On Friday, I got a text from a friend, and he told me how his son and daughter-in-law were expecting their first baby. And I said, hey, how's it going, your grandpa? He said, well, they lost their child last month. Um, And the grief that goes with that eight months pregnancy and the crushing blow And then sometimes it's relational. Uh, We have a friend who two months ago, he told us how his wife came and said, I I really think I'm done. Uh, I don't really love you. And and from that, I mean, he was, you know, as like a a hurricane and, and it's just gotten worse from there. When you go through those situations in life, and I think we've all been there, and if we haven't, they come at some point, we wonder, can I trust a God who allows suffering like this in the world uh, today? And it's not a new argument. Uh, The 18th century philosopher, French philosopher Voltaire, said that he, he couldn't, basically said this, that because suffering exists, God cannot that the thought of, of devastating pain in people's lives and in the world today and the thought of a loving God are mutually exclusive. You, you, you can't have both. And because we witness this one so clearly, suffering that God cannot, and he, and he would you know, uh, issue these blistering critiques against Christianity. You might go, I, I wouldn't do that. But do you ever wrestle with the question in the midst of your pain or watching the pain around you that you go, Christmas is a great story, but the reality of it today is, is God real? Does he, and if he is, does he care? And if he cares, why does he allow the pain that I see, whether in my own life or the people I love, is, is it worth it to follow him? 
like us to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, and you might go, John, that's sort of a heavy beginning for Christmas. Uh, and I'd say, well, it's because I want us to be real about what we face in the world today. And we're going to see how Paul, well, it's, it's a highlight chapter. If, if you don't have a Bible, uh, check out the Bible app on your phone. And I want to say again to all of you engaging online from Columbus and from around Cleveland and from states and countries around the world, really glad to have you uh, engaging and worshiping with us uh, today. Just a reminder of a couple of things, by the way. Uh, we have some Christmas Eve invitations next, this coming Friday, 3 and 5 p.m. at our Olmsted Falls campus at 6941 Columbia Road in Olmsted Falls, and then 135 and 7 here in Middleburg. Invite some friends. Uh, tonight, Chosen is at Olmsted Falls campus. So if you're wondering, where is that place? Mary and I would love to see you there tonight. Uh, it's a free showing of the Chosen. It was mentioned earlier by Jordy. And, and then finally, one last thing. Next Sunday, because it's the 26th holiday, we're going to do one combined service here and one at Olmsted Falls. They're both at 10 a.m. What time is the service next Sunday? 10 a.m., okay? So if you come at 1030, um, uh, I just wanted you to know in advance. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get word out here as well about that. Hey, before we dig into Romans 8, let's pray, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that uh, we can go beyond all of the decorations and ornaments of a holiday and say, we want to wrestle with the realities of this world and of our lives. Lord, for some here who are traveling this week, they're having time together, maybe hosting family, we pray, Lord Jesus, let us reflect your heart. Uh, may your hedge of protection be around each one. Lord, we have numerous people dealing with COVID right now. Uh, we pray for your your kindness to be on display, your healing power. For those who are on the front line uh, in hospital systems and nursing homes and other places, Lord, would you strengthen them physically, emotionally, uh, give wisdom to leaders who have to make very difficult decisions in these days. Lord, several weeks ago we prayed for the team of 17 who were in Haiti and were abducted, numerous ones of them from Ohio. Thank you for the good news this week of their release. And we pray, Lord, that in, in the nation of Haiti that that your light would be so bright that the church, your church, your family there would flourish and that uh, many would put their trust in you. And now, Lord, as we wrestle with this topic of is it worth it to follow you? I mean, can we trust you with all the brokenness in our lives and in the world, Lord? Would you give us understanding, we pray in your name, amen. On the screen, you're gonna see uh, an outline of the book of Romans. If you're newer to to grace. We've talked about the fact that this highlight book in the Bible has 16 chapters, and you can, uh, five words that summarize the book. Uh, let's say them together. You ready? Sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. Here's what we said. Sin, we're all born with this infection of sin that we're broken on the inside, that there was an infection of sin that came with the very first people who lived, and that infection is we've inherited that all the way down. We're hopelessly sunk, our ship is sunk on our own. But uh, thank God that that wasn't the end of the story, that salvation came. And when Jesus was born, we read in Matthew chapter one, the Christmas story, it says, you'll name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their what? From their sin, that Jesus came on a mission. In fact, his name means to save. 
And so Jesus came to save us, and then not only to save us, but sanctification means he wants our lives to be filled with God. Like he wants us to live today in a way that we just experience him, that, uh, that we become more like him. And in that process, Paul talks about suffering and about the brokenness of this world. In Romans chapter 8, we're going to read in just a second. And what he's saying is this. He's going, as your life is filled with God, sometimes there's this dissonance in our soul because we go, how does it make sense? I thought if I gave my life to Christ, things would be like, we're just on the up and up and it's going to be, but I had this suffering going on in my life and this pain and this brokenness, either for myself or for people I love. How do I make sense of this? So let's see what Paul has to say there. And I just want to make a note that Paul who answers with such clarity and confidence. Uh, Paul wrote many of his letters from where? From prison, right? I mean, the guy was un, un, unjustly accused and con, you know, he was almost stoned to death. He, this guy suffered, but here's what he writes. Listen to this. Chapter eight of Romans, verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's like his thesis statement here. We're going to come back to that. Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Paul is saying this. He's saying, we, we groan today. Creation groans. As we wait for something that we hope for, like a confident expectation, we don't have it yet. And so Paul says, in this broken world, while we wait for the finalization, the completion of what Jesus is going to do, he goes, we suffer we shouldn't be surprised we suffer. In fact, the, the first verse right before the section we read in verse uh, 17, uh, Paul writes this. He says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. His friend Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes this. Peter says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening with, uh, to you. Don't be surprised. Would you say those words, three words aloud with me, those of you online as well, ready? Don't be surprised. He's saying expect it. When you go through challenging times, you should be like, whoa, like what's happening here? I can't believe it. He, he goes, no, don't, don't act as if something strange were happening to you. He goes, expect it. Don't be surprised. When suffering comes, he goes, you live in a broken world. Why, why does it happen? The Bible clearly teaches that our world was created perfectly. God did it, and he looked at it, and he goes, it, it is good. But we said it got infected by human rebellion. When Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they turn their backs on God, and sin infects not only their lives, but it infects all of creation. 
So when Jesus comes, Jesus comes to make that right. But we have this already not yet season in which we live, and it's this. Jesus has already saved us, and he's already won the battle against the enemy, but he's not yet completed the work that he's going to do with us and with the world. He's already won the battle, but it's not yet been made. And so we live in this in-between where Paul says, you're in this season where you're going to suffer. The only question that remains, and friends, this is huge, is this. Are we going to suffer with Christ or are we going to suffer without him? Is it worth it to follow Christ, we might ask. And I would say, what's the alternative? Do we really want to think about suffering without Christ? Paul answers the question, is it worth it? And he answers with, with no shadow of a doubt. And he tells us how in the midst of our suffering, which shouldn't surprise us, if we're gonna share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. That is the suffering, the glory of Jesus. How can you and I build confidence in the hard times? How can we continue on when the pain seems to be so deep and we go, is it worth it? And maybe we don't ask that even a lot, but inwardly we wonder, we go, man, if he's really God, you know, I, Paul tells us here. So if you are following along in your notes, which uh, you can always uh, pick up uh, on the tables right outside each of the worship center doors, or for those of you engaging online, you'll see at our homepage uh, the bulletin, and the bulletin has a little link for the notes. So we're gonna just gonna go through these verses here and see what does Paul say? What confidence can you and I have in the hard times to say, yes, it's worth it, it's worth it. For stars, Paul would say this, our world is going to be fully restored when Jesus comes again. In other words, creation itself is looking forward with us to something better that's yet to come. Here's how Paul says it in verse 21. He says, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. There's going to be freedom one day, but today he says there's what? There's death and decay. We saw that even this last week, right? Horrified to see the destruction of tornadoes. Many people not getting the word because they're fast asleep and they didn't hear their phone go off and warn them that, hey, this tornado's coming through. And you hear, you see the destruction of a tornado that stayed on the ground for like wasn't it like over 200 miles? And think of in 2021, what has our, our own nation experienced? We've had fires out west that have consumed hundreds of homes. We've had volcanoes and we've had hurricanes and flooding and all kinds of stuff. You go death and decay, brokenness, creation groans, Paul says as in childbirth, looking forward to something better. And he says, and that better is gonna come. There's gonna be a new creation, a restored creation. If you think of the best place you've ever visited, you go, if I could visit one place again, or maybe something, you know, you look at some kind of internet, you know, the top places, the beaches to visit, and you go, if I could go to one place, I think I'd pick there. You know what Paul would tell you? He'd go, wow, the world is broken. The world today groans. But someday, God is going to restore it and it's going to be absolutely amazing. 
Not only that, Paul talks secondly about how you and I are going to have ourselves new bodies and a new home that will last forever. God promises it through Paul. Let's look at verse 23. He says, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We wait with eager hope, with creation, for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. You might go, I thought we already were adopted. If you put your trust in Christ, you've been adopted, but he says, our full rights. In other words, there's gonna be a day when it's gonna be even better than it is today. Released from suffering. New bodies. Don't you look forward to a day when you have a new body? For most of us, that's really great news. There's this verse, it's in your notes, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 43, in the New Living Translation that says, our bodies now, what? Disappoint us. Anybody say amen to that? Oh, man. You know, I, I feel it at the age of 36 right now. Uh, what are you laughing at? I'm lying, okay, 56, I'll be honest. You don't have to wait till you're 56 or for your body to disappoint you. It can happen to a 20-year-old. You go, my intestines aren't working right or I tore my ACL or, you know, or then you turn 65 and you're, you can't hear right or whatever. And our bodies now disappoint us, right? There, there are bodies with creation. There's death and there's decay. It's what happens. But he goes, well, someday. Someday, he says, you're gonna get a new body. That's what he says here in verse 20, 23. He says, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna get a new body. A new body with what? With new joints. There's, you're not gonna have a bum hip or a bum knee. You're not gonna have arthritis. You're gonna get new eyes. No glasses, contacts, cataracts, whatever. You're gonna have new skin, no warts, no acne, no whatever you have that you deal with in your skin. You're gonna have, you're not gonna, have, all your internal stuff's gonna work right. You're gonna say, everything's gonna just, it's gonna be amazing. And if you, have someone you love who's been paralyzed or they deal with ALS or there's something that you just go, there's cancer, all of it's gonna be gone. He says, you're gonna get a new body that's gonna be set free. That's what he tells us here. And this is where Paul, he directly answers the question, is it worth it? Look back at verse 18. In fact, would you read this verse aloud with me? It's going to be on the screen. Let, let's say this together. Verse 18, ready? Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? I, I want you to look up here. Here's what Paul's saying. is our present sufferings. All of my suffering, all of your suffering, all the world's suffering, put it in a big pile over here. He says, all of the suffering that we encounter today is not worth comparing to what? To the glory that will one day be revealed. He goes, however, he's not denying that there's not pain over here. He's not saying, oh, it's really not that bad or just suck up and, you know, be, it's going to be all right or, or just, you know, mind over matter. No, he's, he would acknowledge this world is broken. We face horrific circumstances and pain, but he, goes, he says, whatever you've been through, not denying that, but compared to the glory that will be revealed, he goes, it's not even worth comparing. And it's not the only time Paul says that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles. Paul, how can he even say that? Because he says this, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far, remember what the word is? Outweighs them all. Paul goes, not even worth comparing. Is it worth it? 
Is it worth all the pain and the suffering that maybe we go through to follow Jesus, the one who came and was born in the manger into our pain? And Isaiah 53 says he's acquainted with sorrow. He, he carries our grief. Like he came to deal with the problem of pain. He's already won the battle, but it's not yet been completed. Is it worth it to follow him? Paul says, in fact, Paul would tell you this. If Paul came to visit you this week and said, hey, you know, I had nowhere else to go for Christmas, so I wanted to come to your house, and how was your 2021? And you're telling him about your 2021 and some of the good parts and the bad parts, and we've had some tension in our family over COVID, and we didn't vote the same. We're still dealing with the overflow of that, and I lost my job, and, you know, or whatever else happened, and and uh, Paul would say this. He'd say, you know what? I'm really sorry for what you've been through. What I can tell you is now that I've been in heaven, I can tell you I didn't just write about it anticipating it. I'm telling you having experienced it, it's not worth comparing the sufferings that you're going through right now compared to the glory that you'll have in heaven one day. It is you're gonna to get to heaven. You're gonna walk through the gates of what God has prepared for you where there's no more mourning or sickness or crying or pain. You had whatever else, no more divorce, no more cancer, no more car accidents, no more death, no more funerals. All of that, he says, is gone forever. It's not even worth comparing. Is it worth it? It's absolutely worth it to follow Christ. He's the answer. There's no other way. You can suffer with them or you can suffer without them. C.S. Lewis, not long after his wife died and just months before his own departure from earth to heaven, he observed this. He said, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Because you might say, John, it's not just the pain. I don't, I, I don't want to, like we're taking this vacation this coming year, just bought a new house. Like, I'm not sure I'm ready to leave. And Paul would say it's not even worth comparing the good stuff compared to what you're going to have in heaven. C.S. Lewis, there are far, far better things ahead than any that we leave behind. So all creation is going to be made new. You can count on that. You're going to get a new home with that Jesus is preparing a new body that's going to be perfect. You're going to love it. Paul says because that we look forward, we anticipate, we wait eagerly. But it's not just about the future. He doesn't say, how do you deal with suffering? Well, just hang on and someday it's going to be better. No, we, he gives us an assurance today and he goes on here. And here's what he says. Number three, the Holy Spirit is helping you, even praying for you today. Verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Twice he says here, the Spirit intercedes. Like he didn't want us to miss this. The Holy Spirit is praying for you today. And when our words seem insufficient, he helps us in our prayers. Some of you have been there. You've been in such emotional anguish over something that, that you've, you've groaned. There's been a, a crisis that has been left you so 
scrape me off the ground kind of like sick that you've groaned. You been there? Doesn't happen a lot, I hope. I've been there. I won't go into the details, but I've been through some things with Mary, not between us, but we've encountered some things together where we've just, they haven't been long theological prayers. It's just been like, Jesus, help us. Help us, Jesus. Jesus, have mercy, Jesus. And you just sort of, you don't really know what to pray for. You don't know how to pray. And Paul says, in those moments, wordless groans, the Spirit takes those and carries them into the very presence of your Abba Father. He's just told us about. Your dad, your heavenly Papa, who loves you more than you'll ever know. And not only does he take your wordless groans, but he says he, he prays for us. You see, we don't only have Jesus who's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. And, and you might go, it just feels sort of distant. He said, I won't leave you alone. And John 14, he says, I'm gonna come and I'm not just gonna live with you, I'm gonna live what? In you. Friends, when the moment that you put your trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, my life is broken. I, I have sin that makes me unacceptable to a holy God. I'll never make it to heaven. My life is, I, I've messed up. But Jesus, you came not just to be this sweet little baby, but you came to die. You came on a mission for me, for, for humanity. Jesus, I put my trust in you. The moment you do that, his spirit comes to live within you. You're forgiven. You're made part of the family. You're adopted as a daughter, a son of the Most High God. And his spirit comes within you and is praying for you in your suffering. He helps you to know how to pray. You're never, ever alone. Not only does he pray for you, he answers those prayers. He goes on to say, he doesn't just stop verse 26 and 27, he's praying for you. But then he goes on, and one of the most well-known verses in perhaps the New Testament is verse 28. And if I could summarize it, we know this, that, that God brings good results from all of our suffering. There's a condition we'll get to, but, but listen to what he says here. For Christians going through tough times, verse 28, we know that God causes how much? All things, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called. Note, note that Paul doesn't say that all things are good. They're not. He doesn't say, hey, everything God does is all from God, it's all good. It's, no, there's terrible things that happen in your life that even the Lord would weep with you. But there's something about his power where he's able to take every piece of brokenness and suffering and pain in your life and my life and weave it together to accomplish something beautiful, something good that we look back and I go, I don't know how he did that, but, but God actually, I look back in my life and I go, some of the most painful times in my life, I look at what God did in me or in the lives of people around me or accomplished and I think, Lord, I, I have to acknowledge that what you, you can take everything even the most painful stuff, and turn it to good. Sometimes we see it in this life, we look back, other things I'm convinced we're not gonna know till we get to heaven. 
Let me just offer some advice for a second here because I, I want to make sure we, we don't make a mistake that far too many Christians have made. Be very careful that you don't use this verse as a hammer with people in pain. And by that I mean just it's often better not to use it at all. If someone just had a miscarriage and you go, hey, I, God uses, works all things together for good. I'm sure he's planning this. It's really going to be amazing or whatever, or, you know, or they've just lost their spouse or they've lost a job or whatever. The more appropriate words is, I'm so sorry. And I can't even imagine, but I'm going to be praying for you. And you pray against the backdrop of this verse. So you go, God, I know in that person's life, you can work everything together for good. But there's some verses that are just not really appropriate to just lay on people when they're suffering. And this is one that's been used too many times for that. Not that this verse is untrue. It's absolutely true. But there is a condition. Paul says here, and very often in the scriptures, we sometimes, we like to quote the promise, but we forget there's often a condition before that. And there is here too. Paul says, God can take everything and use it to accomplish good for whom? For those who, who love God, right? Who are called. You go, what does that exactly mean? It means that if I love him, it means I trust him. That I've I put my trust in Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I love you, I trust you. And, and he said, if you love me, you're going to do what? You're going to obey me. So you're not, you don't just say, I just sort of love him, I, you know, I, I, but you, you follow through and you go, Jesus, I, I yield my life. I surrender my life to you. I'm going to follow you. He says, when you are walking with Jesus, when you are following Jesus, then this verse is true and you can trust that he'll take even evil stuff and turn it into good. Here's how Tim Keller puts it, one of my favorite contemporary authors, and he it's at the top of your notes. If, you, if you're wondering, like, I want to write this down, you'll see it in your notes. But it's, he says this. For those who trust in Jesus, who love him, your bad things turn out for good. Your good things can never be lost. And the best things are yet to come. Amen? One more way that God can use our suffering, number five, and he goes on here, talks about this in the next verse, verse 29, and it's this, you can become more like Jesus. In fact, that's God's plan for you. We don't want to miss how these verses all tie together. In verse 29, Paul tells us God's purpose. He says, for God knew his people in advance, and we could talk a lot about what that means, but he, he didn't just get to know you like other people. God knew about you before you were even conceived. He knew how you would respond to him. He knew what he plans he had for your life. And it says this, and part of that, he chose them to become like his son. You want to know God's goal for you? That's it right there. He wants you to become more and more like Jesus. And often to get our attention, he often does it through what? C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure and he shouts to us in our what? In our pain. When, you're, when everything's going great in life, it's easy to sort of miss the voice of God. But when you're going through the ringer and you're feeling squeezed and, and crushed and you, you're calling out to God and God has your attention, right? Not that he causes our pain, but he can use every event in your life, every circumstance, every ounce of pain to help you become more like him. In fact, that's his goal for you. He says here, 
He wants you to become like his son, conform to his image. I was uh, working on my message this week and just thinking through, Lord, how, what does this look like? And I, I read what one guy wrote about this, his own difficult journey, went through something he said one of the hardest times of his life, and he, he writes this about it. He says, I was convinced God had left me. You ever feel that way? Or that he was torturing me. Instead, he was getting rid of parts of me, parts of me that worked against me, against him, against others, and it hurt. He opened new parts of my soul I'd never seen. He was also forgiving me and helping me to forgive myself. I learned to relate to and empathize with people better. He was making me a better father, better husband, a better leader and friend, but it was painful. And then he says this, he closes and says, you'll be tempted to think God has left you in the dark night of your soul, but he hasn't. When it feels like God is a million miles away, he's not only with you, he's in you. And he's saying, if, if you'll just trust me, even in the dark, I'm gonna shape you and mold you to become more like my son. Why? Because he, he wants you to reflect him to those around you. He has a mission for you that until you see Jesus face to face, he's going to say, my, my work for you is not yet done. In the book Seeking Him, Tim Grissom writes about the toughest season of his life. I wanna just read his own words and then we're gonna close he says this, in January 1999, my wife Janice was diagnosed with ALS, or Luke Gehrig's disease. Over a span of 11 months, she deteriorated physically to where she could do little for herself beyond breathing, speaking faintly and swallowing. Finally, we had to hospitalize her. She died 10 days later at the age of 41. I was left with four children and a broken heart. That describes the earthly reality of our circumstances, painful, dreadful, overwhelming. But there's another side, a heavenly side, where I found hope. I discovered that it is entirely possible to walk through the valley of the shadow of death while fearing no evil. I learned that in the harshest of life seasons, we can actually grow in our awareness of God's presence. God can become so large in our understanding that other Realities slip into the background. He offers himself, his love, his companionship, his strength, his grace. As I passed through the months of my wife's illness and death, people often asked, how are you? I could only reply that I felt as if we were being covered and carried by God, that he was escorting us through the grief and protecting us from being mortally wounded by it. God drew my attention to 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I realize that when we are humble, do you see where God places his hand? Above us to cover us and beneath us to carry us. He cups us in his hands. What better place to be? I've not suffered like Tim, but I think, wow, Lord, if you can hold up Tim like that, you hold him up, you have him sheltered, cupped in the palm of your hands. Friends, when you suffer with Christ, he does the same for you. He cups you in his hands. What better place could there be? 
Is it worth it to suffer with Christ? Friends, in our worst days and in our hardest moments, we can know this. Would you say those last words, words with me? It is worth it. One more time, ready? It is worth it. All because of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you today. Thank you that you came on a mission to deal with the brokenness in our world. It doesn't surprise you. And someday, Lord Jesus, the work you began when you were here will be finalized, complete. Thank you for giving us the assurance that it's worth it. That what we go through today cannot even compare to what you're preparing for us. Jesus, fill us with faith. Come Holy Spirit and strengthen us for the journey until the day we see our Savior face to face. Lord, you know what every individual person here is going through, what we will face. Thank you that you're not gonna let us go. May we see ourselves in the palm of your hands underneath us and over us and you'll never let us go. We thank you. Lord Jesus, in your powerful name we pray and everyone said, amen.